listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. How's everybody doing? (laughs) Good to see you. Hey, welcome to the third part of our series called Summer Fruit. And let me just tell you, it's not like a normal series where we're talking about a Bible topic or uh, maybe we're we're going through a Bible study. This is more like a season than anything else. And we're going to be talking about it in the month of June. July, we have obviously some pretty cool surprises at the beginning and then a series that I think that we're all really going to love. But in the course of this series, what we're trying to convey to everybody is that we believe God has called every single one of us to be fruitful, be productive, if you will, in every season of our life. That might mean being old or young, and certainly it means summer, fall, all through our lives that God wants us to be fruitful. Everybody agree with that? Say amen. Like that's, that's the heart of God, right? And so what we want to do is find out, God, what do you mean by that and, and partner with what he's calling us to do? Today uh, is going to be, and take it from the source, I mean, consider the source, it's going to be a little bit of a strong message. Um, I know when I say that, you guys are like, oh man, give it to him, pastor, come on. I mean, like, you know, pray for me. I mean, you'll get it if you want it, you know, and so, but today's message is going to be focused on men. Now, women, you're going to love this message. In fact, this is a message to the men I'm preaching in front of the ladies. Any ladies out there say amen. Yeah. And so you can be like, mm-hmm, pastor said, you know, and so don't do that. Don't do that. Pray for your husband. But uh, listen, today, today's going to be a little bit of sparks. I'm excited about it. I think that it's going to make us all grow up. And here's what I pray. Like so many people during first service, I pray that you leave with a weight lifted off your shoulders. I pray that you really feel like, you know, man, God's called me to be this type of person. And so this is what we need today. Uh, judges, if you would, the book of Judges early on in the Bible Boy, we don't preach out of Judges very often, but Judges chapter 4, if you will. Uh, Let me set this all up before I begin to read. But uh, in the Old Testament, before there were kings, so a lot of us are familiar with King Saul and David and, and the ones that came after. Before there was kings, there were judges. And these judges were people that would hear from God and they would interpret what God was saying and they would make major decisions similar to our judge, but in all aspects of life, maybe mix a little bit of judge with a little bit of police with a little bit of the executive branch. And you're like, that sounds scary. Not when God's in charge. See, God wanted to be their king, but from heaven. And the apex of government on earth is the republic. Above the republic, there's only one that stands above it, and that is theocracy, where God rules. And listen, it's coming, everybody. But until then, we'll have to settle on the fact that we live in a constitutional representative republic. But in the time of the judges, the people wanted a king. Israel looked at their neighboring nations, and they saw all of these great kings that looked like the Middle Eastern potentates. I'm picturing them. I'm sure they weren't wearing it, but with a fez. I don't know. It looked like a Shriner's ball, you know? And, and they had all these kings, and they, they had regalia and crowns and all this. And Israel wanted a king, and they begged God and begged God. Eventually, God gave them a king. But what I'm going to read for you is before the time of the kings. It's in the book of Judges chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. 
who reigned in Hazor. Pause for a second. Everybody look at me. When we read passages like that in our one-year Bible, we're like, okay, I'm going back to Matthew. You know, like that's a lot. God's selling people. I don't get it, you know. And, and listen, in the Old Testament, if you don't understand this, your theology is going to be backwoods. There are active and passive verbs in the Old Testament. So the Bible says that the Lord sold them to this other king. That's not what happened. They, if you read, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were going out from the umbrella of God's blessing, and their decision made the de facto decision that they were sold. And I would say this, not only did they sell themselves, but they sold themselves short. God wasn't bartering with other nations. God wants your success. But when we, even as people of God like them, choose to live and operate like the world, what is this showing us? You'll cash in on worldly results. Got to press on. It says this, Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Hera Bible City, okay? If you know, you're lying. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites. Check this. For 20 years, 20 years of this junk, they're, they're, in, they're in bondage. And what did they do? They cried to the Lord for help. Can we just take a pause for a second? Anybody else do something stupid in your life and you cried out for God and he was still there for you? Thank God that we can cry out to God no matter what we do or whatever we face. God is gracious and merciful. Same way in our life. Okay, verse 4. Now, Deborah. And by the way, I love Deborah. Deborah, speaking of our graduates, she's a tough chick in the Bible. A prophet. The wife of Lapidoth. If you name your kid Lapidoth, I am not dedicating your child here at New Chapel. I'm calling him Leo for the rest of the Bible story. The wife of Leo. That's a tough name. Sounds like a guy with a handlebar mustache. Was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Pause. Everybody look at me for a second. Is there any more conflict of whether or not women can lead? In the Old Testament, you have a prophet. In the Old Testament, Deborah. I mean, it is so clear that they can lead. Well, I don't know if a woman can preach. I got two words for you. Joyce Myers. Girl can preach. She'll preach in the corner talking like this, but I mean, she'll preach, you know. Verse 6. She sent for Barak, son of, I'm calling him Abe, uh, Barak, son of Abe from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. This is what God is saying. He's commanding. Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Okay, everybody look at me. Here's what's happening. They're facing 20 years of opposition, God is speaking to one of his judges, a prophet named Deborah. Deborah's saying, let's get them. Let's get everybody together. This is what God is saying. This is like, put it this way. This is the will of God. Let's go. This is the mission, okay? And what she's saying is this, is that God is going to give you the victory into your hands. I love this because you see a woman who's empowered. We want empowered women. Leading, that's amazing. But she's also saying, God's going to deliver this whole victory into your hands. She's propping up the guys. This is your victory, men. You're going to be honored in all of this. Okay, pressing on. Verse 8. 
Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Can I put it this way? Because you are abdicating the responsibility God gave you. Okay, how about this? Because you are choosing to make a decision aside from the will of God and not be the person he's called you to be, you're not going to be honored. Um, How about this one? You're letting other people lead who are not in charge. You're abdicating your responsibility. And because of that, let me just tell you, boys, you're abdicating your leadership. It is so clear that God has empowered her, but it's so clear what God called for in this situation. And because they're just letting it loose, they're leaving it up to a lottery. And I got to tell you, this is not society's battle. This is not woman's battle on man. This is from the Garden of Eden, everybody. This is the devil's attack on men. And it confuses men. It makes men not really know how to operate and how to assert themselves in a positive way. It, It makes them too weak or too strong in things. They become a caricature of what a man should be and end up leaving a wake of people in in their path. It, It has confused us. Is it any wonder when you watch sitcoms on TV or movies, they always betray, uh, portray the, the, the husband, the dad, is a buffoon, cheap and, and feckless and squabbling about little things, and, and he's Mr. Mom, like on Full House. I love that show, but like, come on, Tanner, buck up, buttercup. Put your big boy pants on. Take the apron off. Act right, you know? Say amen. amen. And so we don't know how to operate with what godly masculinity is. We don't, we don't want what it looks like with godly authority. And what does she say? Because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. Wow. Listen to me, sir. If you're experiencing depression in this place or, or an addiction, alcoholism, if you're experiencing some hang-up privately, God has a purpose for you. And because you're, you're not in that spot, you're not thriving in that, you're being distracted and pulled to things that are less than who God has called you to be. There's, there's greater things. Men, you need to know this. And, and it's shown so clearly in this, this story. You are destined for honor. You are destined to be celebrated. You are destined to be a godly leader. You're you're destined to be a godly leader in your family. You are destined to be a godly leader in the house of God. Yeah. You know, I've heard it before. You never see a flock of eagles, right? You see a flock of seagulls when you go to Lake Michigan. You never see a whole bunch of flock of of eagles. But I'm believing God. I'm sowing. I'm praying that this church becomes a place where the men go to church and that you look across... It's eagles. It's leaders from all walks of life. They look different than each other, but they're men, men after God's own heart. So what happens? Deborah goes with Barak to Gadesh, and they win the battle. That was the end of chapter 4. In uh, chapter 5, what ends up happening? She ends up celebrating, and oftentimes in the Bible, when they would have a great celebration of a victory or a spiritual win, they would either set up a memorial or write a song or both. 
And so Deborah can sing. I had no idea. So she says, I'm going to write a song. This is similar to what happened when God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites went through. And on the other end, Moses and, and uh, Miriam, they wrote a song. Deborah does this. I'm going to read some parts of it for you. It's a beautiful song. Deborah's a tough chick. And so it's a challenging song. And I want that to be that way. I want us to feel the, the, the words of this, this song, a memorial of a victory of God. Judges 5 and verse 2. This is key. When the princes take the lead, right? When the princes in Israel take lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, Deborah writes this, praise the Lord. Can I put it this way? When, when, when we can find people that are willing to do their part, when, when we can get the people in the church up and engaged and on fire about what God is doing, praise the Lord. Can I put it this way? Maybe you'll get a little bit loud on this one. When we can get the men of New Chapel to take the lead, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When we can get the 20-something men of New Chapel to not stay up to 3 a.m., on Xbox, but wake up at 6 a.m. to seek God and chase him in prayer. Praise the Lord. That's what we need. And so, so guys, we have to realize that this is so important, but it doesn't just happen. There's so many people that are going to go to heaven. They, they agree with the scripture, but God's not looking for your mental agreement. He's looking for your heart of obedience to sink into this thing. To really accept it as your own. It doesn't just happen. Now, I want to say this. There's no one in the church, nobody in my mind that came to me where I was like, I need to write this message and correct the behavior. So, so anybody that feels like I'm dancing on your feet right now, it's because <laughs> the Lord's all over your feet. It's, it's not me. I'm not stomping on you. But I, I just really think that every once in a while, we need a message that, I don't know how to put it, like a coach would give. Whap. Buck up, buttercup, put your big boy pants on. Fight for the win. Let's go. Stop belly aching. Let, let, let's get in the game. Let's fight. Get your head in this thing. You got something to fight for. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I think we need messages like that. And some of the disaster that we've had in our country is because good, godly people are like, man, I just don't want the drama. I don't want those people to jump down my throat. I don't want to end up with CNN helicopter circling my house. Circle my house. And so we, we need this. And, and we've got to be told that there's more, that God has made you for more, that you can be great. I had somebody do that in my life. So when I was 17 and I rededicated my life to Christ, I came from a family that, I mean, we put up the Christmas tree and hid Easter eggs, and we were Christians. That's what that meant. And I asked my dad one time what we believed, and he said, whatever Billy Graham believes is what we believe. Well, praise God. So somebody asked me one time at school, what, what do you believe? What church do you go to? I said, you know Billy Graham? I said, yeah. Whatever he believes is what we believe. I don't know, you know? And so like that, that was Christianity in my life. And uh, so when I was 17, I ended up rededicating my life to Christ, and I had a mentor come into my life that spoke into my world. This person cared about me and, and invested in me. You know, I was, um, I was a leader in school, a uh, big fish in a small pond, nothing like Emma. She's... But I was at Nuevo, uh, just across the brook, and uh, I was drum major and student body president, things like that. And every mother wanted me to marry their daughter because they saw who I was 
in, in my publicit self. But the people that, you're laughing, but uh, praise God. But listen to me, everybody that I went to school with, they knew I was buck wild. I put on one face when I was in front of everybody, but I partied like crazy. I was wild. I was nuts. And this mentor that came into my life, they said to me, listen, you can't do that. Who are you? I don't know, because you act like this and you act like this. Which one is it? You tell me. You're a leader, Joe, but I think you're leading some people off a cliff. You say, that's pretty hard. I think it's the love of God. And I think because our generation has defined love of God as unicorns and braiding each other's hair, we've missed out on hard conversations like that, that some men needed, a good slug on the shoulder that said, act right, there's more in you. Well, this person didn't slug me, but they slugged me. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do something. So I had all these different roles, and I, I did this event where we blended together homecoming with a church overnight, and then we had two-thirds of a secular high school there. She, this person, I mean, they, they said, you can have an influence on your school for Jesus. Why, why don't you use that to actually make an influence on people's lives? And so, man, we saw so many salvations, dozens of people. And I'm telling you, if anybody's ever led their school to Christ, it was me. If they didn't come, it's because they weren't going to be saved that season of their life. We fought for it, but I, I, I was, my, my eyes were open to the potential that I could do and, 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 and be, able to, be able to have an influence on people's lives, but it's because somebody got in my grill and said, let's do it. Who are you? So when we pray for our graduates, I will tell you, it's like we are sowing our best into the world. I hope that we're actually behind them. And so this person invested in me. And I took these steps of faith, and obviously I was destined to be a preacher and make an influence. Look at where I'm at right now. But, but that wouldn't have happened unless somebody else had spurred me on, as the Bible would say, unto good works. And so what does the Bible say? When, when the princes take lead, praise the Lord, but they didn't all take the lead. And so Deborah, old girl, she breaks out in, in song, but she starts singing about how tore back some of these tribes of Israel were. This is what it says in verse 15, Judges 5, 15. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. She asks, why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? This is a tribe of Israel, the tribe of Reuben. And, and here's what they're saying. Okay, we got to go to battle. God's called us to do it. We need to think about it. We'll get back to you. This is, this is really an inconvenient time. And what do they do? They go into the land of indecision. Uh, Reuben, uh, they are... are you know, is a broad stroke. They're, they're shepherds. And so she's almost making fun of them. Like, why are you going around whistling around sheep? You're going to lose everything if we don't fight. Where were you in the fight? That's what it says in verse 17. Gilead strayed, I'm sorry, stayed beyond the Jordan. What's that talking about? Gilead was one of the tribes of Israel, and they were geographically all over the nation, but Gilead was on the other side of the Jordan River. And in this season of the year, the, the waters would be rushing down from the mountains, and it would make the Jordan River swell. Now, it was dangerous to get across that particular river, but it wasn't impossible. People did it all the time. Gilead stayed. So they're like, we're going to fight the battle. And they get to the edge of the Jordan, and they're like, oh, first obstacle. Ugh, this is hard. I, I really should turn back. I didn't know that there was going to be challenges at war. I don't know. The Bible continues. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Well, that is a, it's kind of a rhetorical question. Dan, they were merchants and shipbuilders, and they sailed. And here's what she's saying. She's saying, Dan, you bunch of wuss. She's saying, 
what you guys conveyed is God's called me to do this, but God, I have more important things to do. I need to give my best to work. I, I, need, to, I need to really give my best to my employer before God. You hear what I'm saying? Hey, workaholic dad, listen to me. You might think that you're going after the pearl of great price. You're going to lose everything. You don't put God first, you won't be able to keep the money you get. It'll all crumble in your hands. Yikes. Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. What is this talking about? Asher, uh, their particular trade, allowed this to be their vacation time. What they're saying is, hey, we're at the beach. This is vacation. Don't ask anything of me, God, while I'm on vacation. I've got bigger fish to catch and cook and fry. Like, I've got, I've got a life. This is me time, God. Oh, Deborah is owning them. And listen, throughout history, men have been plagued by indecision, excuses. They find solace and hiding in recreation and in their jobs. And all of those things and pieces, I mean, there might be a reason. There, there might be a spot for wisdom. There's definitely a time for vacation and recreation for sure, and we need to work. But, but what happens is we get skewed. Now, in the secular world, apart from the Bible, and the Bible would convey this, of course, thousands of years before the world, but sociologists have done studies on men. And uh, let's just date this a little bit. This is before the world went buck wild, lost its mind, and thinks that every man and person is crazy or whatever. So this is a good sociological study. And what they found is that men either err on being passive or subservient, or on the other end, they'll have a superiority complex, and there'll be a lot of bravado, okay? I'm going to go through these pretty quickly because this isn't like biblical teaching. Maybe you want to snap a picture of these with your phone or jot these down. But the passive and subservient person, uh, this is the person that would maybe have a version of faux humility. They'd like to be viewed as humble, but in reality, they're just weak. And it's expressed, number one, in irresponsibility. Irresponsibility. If you're 25 years old and you're a man and you don't have a job, get a job. Well, I want a word from God. God just said, go get a job. Sorry to Braveheart this one, but like, you need a job. Your mom's basement is not the sanctuary. You gotta have me preach one of those Mother's Day sermons, guy. My Atlanta. Number two, it's expressed in independence. This is the guy with a chip on his shoulder. I'm gonna do this myself. I don't need any mentors. I don't need anybody speaking. I don't want people telling me what to do. I don't want any of that junk. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to handle this myself. Okay, so nobody can speak into your life. That's how mankind has gotten here. From nobody watching or, or learning, you're just going to do it on your own. That insecurity is unbelievable. You have to open yourself up. No one can speak in. It's expressed in entitlement. Whew. If there's one of these that stands out to me, it's entitlement. We live in entitlement generation. This is where the 20-something looks at the 50, 60-something, and they look at this awesome house and yard. They've got a nice car, and they not only want it. I mean, every young man has wanted cool stuff, but they think they deserve it at 20. And worse than that, they want yours. <laughs> like, I want to take that. You should be giving this to me. You don't love me. Okay. Oh my gosh, I want to preach a whole message on entitlement right now, and I can't. What took you your whole career to achieve? They want by the time they're 22 in a moment, because Zuckerberg got it young. Oh Lord, there's an example. 
You need to work for it like the rest of us did and earn it. You know, I'm a grace guy. I believe in the grace of God. Do you believe in the grace of God? Say amen. I'm a gra- but here's what happens. Some people take grace theology that God loves you, forgive you, there's grace, and they apply it to everything. You can't apply grace and no works to ice cream. I know, okay? Well, I don't want to apply a works mentality to my job. No, 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 no. Apply a works mentality to your job. Bob, where are you at? Cindy and Bob, where's Bob? Maybe he was your first service. He was your first service. Bob went out to New York on, on contract, and they paired him with some 20-something who was going to be his helper. My gosh, you thought he had to push on his chest, breathe. Couldn't get anything done. Didn't know how to work. Didn't know how to do anything. I mean, I got to move on. Okay, there's passive or subservient. Here's the next one, superiority. This is the tough guy, all bravado. They're going to bow on you a little bit. I'm tough, you know. It's expressed in a couple different ways. Number one is toughness. I can hit you the hardest. I can spit or other the furthest. I can make the worst sounds and smells. That doesn't make you tough. That's gross. That's gross. Amen, somebody. It's expressed in eternal success and status. This is the guy trying to prove himself. Well, I'm just going to achieve. I'm going to achieve so much. I'm, I'm going to have the, 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 the best job and the best status and the biggest bank account. Okay, great. We need people like that. In fact, I've been believing God for rich people to come to New Chapel, and they've yet to come. <laughs> Bringing in the sheaves, Lord, send them. <laughs> you know, but we need you to be successful. But there's got to be more to who you are than just your bank account, right? I'm believing God that he prospers you. But there's got to be more than your job title to who you are called to be, yeah? Like God has greater things than just that. It's expressed in intimidation. Well, that's the end of it. I'm in charge around here. No more. There's one that I fall prey to. It's that one. And so it doesn't help. Since Adam and Eve, it's either cowardice or chauvinism that we've had to go back and forth on a teeter-totter. And so many of us in the room have had very few examples of good and godly and stable men. And so we are a broken and fatherless generation, seeking for some sort of example and struggling to find one. But here's the good news. I picture Deborah like Aretha Franklin. I don't know, my holy imagination. She's still singing. And there's some groups that did show up for the fight. Judges 5 and verse 18. The people of Nebulun risked their very lives. What, what is that saying? They stuck their neck out. That's what the gospel costs. I'm in, if you will. Like, that's what God's called us to do. Let's do it. They risked their lives for it. Where's that in the church? So did Nephtali on the heights of their fields. In other words, harvest is coming in. The whole year was focused towards the harvest. Oh, it's harvest time, but God's called us to do something? Great, let's go. Get your weapons, let's go. Game on, let's fight. Why? We win. It's my ball, it's my field. I don't care if it's harvest. Harvest will come back twice, it'll stay. It won't rot in the field. God will bless it. I'm called to war. Let's fight! You know, guys, we need this in the church. This past week... I have been dealing with my local municipality and uh, with the zoning ordinance that they have there. And I don't know how else to put it besides the prom planning committee grew older but not up. Okay? 
and they want to tell you how to live your life. And I'm, I'm, I've been working on this for a year and a half with these people, and I don't know whatever would inspire a person to wake up and tell you how to live your life. I can't imagine being that person, but uh, I'm on the phone with one of the leaders there this week, and my wife can see me. I, I went outside, but I sense you could hear me outside. I had some of what's called righteous indignation. I didn't cuss. I didn't lose my cool. I was in control the whole time. When I got done, here's how I know I won. My wife came up to me and said, I imagine that's what it would have been like for Jesus to go out and fashion the whip. That was exact. You were in control. In fact, he lost his mind a couple times. <laughs> he dropped one of those words we're not supposed to say in church. And so <laughs> I got off the call, and I told him exactly what he needed to do. I gave him homework, and I said, I want to call back. And you can tell me when because I'm tired of calling you and getting your answer machine. Don't avoid me again. You say, Pastor, that's strong for a pastor to talk like that. I think more pastors should. And so I got done with all of that. My boys heard me. Now, I don't want them to think that I was doing something wrong because I wasn't. And so I looked at little Salvatore and Aurelio, and I said, listen to me. If you let people walk all over you, they'll be walking all over you the rest of your life. You can be angry and godly at the same time. You can walk in love and oppose someone at the same time. What these people are doing to try to control me and other people is wrong. They should be corrected. They should be grown adults and know better than the behavior that they're putting on. It's ridiculous. It's juvenile. And so listen to me. You be strong. You be a leader. You know what they said to me? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I don't tell my kids to be followers. Now, you need to be a good follower to be a good leader. And I teach those principles for sure. But I tell my kids, you be a leader. Don't wait for somebody else. If you know how to do the right thing, you go do it. You be a man of God. You See, I'm not raising kids. I'm raising men. I'm raising young uh, women of God. And what I want to do is I want to impart into them some strength in all of this. Church, and I want to say this in the nicest way possible. Men, it's time to rise up. It's time to stand up and be the men that you're called to be. It's time for you to reach your full potential, to be the man that God has called you to be. This is what Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I moved out of my mama's basement, sold my Xbox, had a garage sale, bought my own clothes and food, when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. And I pray that today is that opportunity. Coach Bill McCartney was an incredible success in athletics, as I understand, um, in football. I wish I could tell you more about that part of his life. But, <laughs> but in retirement, he had this burden on his heart for men. See, he was raised in somewhat of a denominational background, but he had a profession of faith later in life, and Jesus radically changed Bill's life. So he wanted to invest in men. He ended up starting a ministry that became known as Promise Keepers. Maybe you've heard of it. They would have arenas and, and stadiums filled with 100,000 people at one time, men. And they would be making promises to God, these seven core promises. In fact, in 1997, over one million men stood in the mall in Washington, D.C. and said before God and their country that we are going to see that end-time harvest and we are going to change this world by keeping our promises to God. It's an incredible, incredible story. Well, in the process of putting this message together, I came across these seven principles that Bill McCartney spoke. And 
What I want to do in this message is to challenge you, specifically the men, but all of us. I think all of us are going to be challenged with this for sure. And there's seven of them. That's a lot. But listen to me. I'm challenging me as well. And what I'd like you to do is at least find one that you can grab today. And when you leave, you're like, that's what I'm going to be focused on. Okay? Seven things very quickly we're going to go through. Number one, commit to pursuing vital relationships with a few other men. Understanding that men need brothers to help him keep his promises. Women, you need this too. But women, it comes fairly easy for you, for, for most women. For men, it's a little bit more difficult, I will tell you. We want to handle it on our own. Just give me some space. I want to do my thing, right? And what I found is this. That is not healthy. You need to be open about what you're going through. Now, listen, you don't have to be a crybaby and ball and squall about every boo-boo that you have. We just read about those guys. But there needs to be someone in your life that you can be like, hey, I'm going through it, man. I'm tore back. I should tell you, I'm, I'm upset, and here's why. I have people in my life who hear me out on those things. Or, or things that I'm just bummed about, or I thought it would be different, or, or sin that I'm dealing with. I'd be like, my heart is jacked. I need help with this. You need that person in your life. I'll tell you, that mentor that I was describing, I have opened my life not to everybody's voice, but to a few voices. And I ask very hard and penetrating questions. My wife will tell you that I do that, and if there's been a key to our success, whatever that even means, it's been because I've been open to hear from other godly people on what to do next and why it's important, how to bring it all together to make it come to pass. I don't have a thousand of these relationships. I have a couple. One, the closest one outside of my wife, is Pastor Brian. There's times where I just, I'm frustrated because of this. I was getting ready to go to a meeting with you guys, and on the way there, had issues with that township. And I'm telling you, I was mad as a hornet, ready to spit fire. I mean, just, and I'm venting, and he's listening. Yeah, it is frustrating, stuff like that. He prays for me. You need that. Men, don't try to go it alone. You're not John Wayne. I think John Wayne was an alcoholic. And so, like, listen, <laughs> don't try to be so tough. You need some relationships in your life, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing a summer semester of small groups. It's going to be starting on July 17th, and it's not going to be our full nine, ten-week semester. It's going to be seven short weeks. We want to get you in, get you plugged in with other people. You might need a relationship that lasts your whole life. It might not be this semester. It might be the fall. But you need relationships, and you need to break the ice with it. Because if you continue to try to fight it your own, I'm telling you, the devil's trying to isolate you and take you out. You need these vital relationships. Amen. Number two. Commit to practicing spiritual, moral, ethical, and sexual purity. Now, hear me. There's stuff in you and in me that is not where it's supposed to be. I get it. Make a fresh commitment today to becoming better. That mentor that I allowed to speak into my life, they, they called out the fact that I had that girlfriend that was on my sleeve. Called it out. And I was, I had this girlfriend because I wanted to show everybody that I was somebody. I'm the big tough guy. And ultimately, that challenge really made me do some introspection. Why do I need it? And this mentor said, you need that. You're selfish in the relationship. This isn't for their benefit. You're not courting for marriage. You've got a piece of jewelry. Oh, man, go for the jugular. Well, I prayed about it, and God said, you're not qualified to be married. 
This is crazy. Take it for what it is. God conveyed to my heart, you need to spend two years and qualify yourself for your future wife. Well, I knew what that meant. So I went back and I broke it off. That girl was a wonderful woman of God, and she's married to another man of God. Praise the Lord, not my wife. So for two years, when I was in the best shape of my life, everybody. <laughs> Circles of shape, I get it, but you know. I didn't date anybody. I worked on me. <laughs> And at the end of all of that, there was Erechiah Harvey, a PK. Was I perfectly qualified? Yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was qualified enough to start the relationship. Thank God I waited. There's only one human that could have ever put up with me in the entire world. Such a loving mother and wife. Thank you. But it's because I chose to take a higher standard. I pray that you will today. Number three, commit to building strong marriages and strong families through love, protection, and biblical values. This isn't you building it through subservience or superiority. We're going to be Christ-like every step of the way, yeah? You're not going to find a great marriage, sir. You're going to build one. You're not going to find a good family. You're going to build one. And let me just tell you, it's a lot of work, 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 work. You want something great like a great godly family, it will not fall into your lap like ripe cherries off a tree. It's exhausting sometimes. To be a good dad and come home and your kids are up in your grill, can we go swimming? And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I just want a cup of coffee. And, and so like, listen, it's, it's not going to be handed to you. You're going to have to fight for that family that God has called you to. Well, Pastor Job messed up. You're in a room with other people that have messed up. I want to challenge you two things. I'm going to ask you to do it all over again, but do it God's way. I want you to be bold to take that step. And the second thing is this. I want you to become aware. You're forgiven in Jesus' name. God has great things for you. God has a family in store for you. The mess up that you had in the past doesn't have to dictate everything in your future. Number four, commit to supporting the mission of your pastor, your church, by honoring and praying and actively giving time and resources. I love this list, everybody. This is perfect. <laughs> and I can prove to you I didn't rate this, but support the mission by honoring and praying for the pastor and actively giving time and resources. Now, listen, I do covet your prayers. You say, Pastor Joe, do you go through hard things like that? I don't think that's true. I mean, Pastor Joe, you got an easy street. You don't feel any of the stresses and pressures. Listen, I don't want to sound narcissistic, but when you go into the ministry, you have a bullseye on your back. The devil hates your guts. I'm not saying I, I have had bigger problems than you. I'm saying I'm at least with you. It's been a war. So I do covet your prayers. But more than just that, let me say, what that means to me is I'm looking for the men of this church to say, hey, Pastor Joe, count on me. I'm in. I'll help you lead. We'll get this thing done. We'll get this thing licked. You got a project over there trying to get that daycare done? Watch this. Presto changeo. We can get it done. Let's, let's get a guy group together. You don't have to plan it. I'll plan it. I'll bring my tools. Don't even worry about it. I got it done. Yeah. I'll turn in my receipts. It's all good. How about this one? There's an outreach event coming on? Yeah. Of course. You can count on me. We're going to do it. We're going to be a part of it. You don't have to question that. In fact, I'm bringing the whole family. I hope you have a job for a five-year-old because he wants to serve. You know, like, like pastor, I'm in. Number five, commit to reaching beyond any racial and denominational barriers to demonstrate the power of biblical unity. 
When COVID hit, because of a political talking point, it took diversity out of this church. There was a day before COVID where we looked like the United Nations on a Sunday morning, and should to this day. And we've allowed this ridiculous division in the world to divide us all up. I hate it. I hate it so bad. So here's my job for you. Go get them. I want my church family back. I want this church to be the diverse church. Not, not, I'm not talking about affirmative action for churches. I'm talking about I want to look like the community we serve. And we ain't all pasty white. <laughs> we got Hispanic folk, black folk, white folk, oriental people. I don't know. Yeah, it should look like the United Nations. It should look like heaven on a Sunday morning at this church. Somebody say amen. And let me tell you why it's important. is because the world is so backwoods with their solution for this. They have something that I would call reverse prejudice at play. They call it critical race theory, which is a demonic, demonic, don't think that it's not spiritual. And it is to make people feel bad about being born the way that they were. I am not going to be made to feel bad, nor should you, about how you were born. You are a gift from God. Whether they be yellow, black, red, or white, they are precious in his sight. You are created by God. And so listen to me very, very carefully. The world is eating themselves and making everything racial. Cliff notes, when everything's racial, nothing's racial. And how a base to have that be the currency by which we deal with each other. It's all based on, yeah, that sounds like the I have a dream speech, right? That was the MLK vision that everything is on the currency of your skin color. Bologna. There is one baptism, one Lord, one race that stands before. It is, it is the Christian, right? Born again. The human race. And so here's what I'm saying with all of this. We can't be quiet, and they're going to call us a racist. There, I said it. I got it in the air. Let's all say the word racist together. Everybody else is saying it. Welcome to New Chapel. We're saying the word racist. One, two, three. Racist. Oh. oh. I'm not a racist. I'm tired of being called a racist. And so when these people come up with their backwoods thoughts about how to solve these problems in an ungodly way that's countercultural to what scripture would describe as a godly cultural uh, value. We as the men of God, don't even put it on, your, on the women, put it on the men. We need to bop up. Well, they're going to call us a racist. Are you a racist? No. Good. Take the heat. Because if we don't come up and correct the narrative, what's going to happen is reverse racism, which is what we're already seeing at play. We need to stand up for what's godly and right. I love that, that on a Sunday morning, I mean, you guys are going to be an interracial, will you Chaldean? The Bible says beware the Chaldeans in the book of Acts, Brando. <laughs> Just saying. I'm on a good 12 to 15 year plan for trust, and Brando just got it. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've, had, we've had some people black and white in the front. We've had Hispanic and white folk, black folk, come all. Come all. And don't let this world get you so upset by the things they're saying that you end up becoming cold. The Bible says that in the last days the love of many will wax cold. And you just don't want the drama. You want peace in your life. So you end up becoming so shrewd and anybody even brings it up. You, from the outside in, you might not be racist, but you sound racist. And so we have to be very careful to not let them pollute our heart, walk in love, and we'll show them godly, biblical unity, which is the only unity that there is. I'm serious. Number six, commit to influencing our world, being obedient to the great commandment and the great commission.
Some of us read the word world and we're like, oh my gosh. Listen, don't read it that way. Just read it this way. Your world, your family, your friends, your school, your workplace, that's your world. If every Christian would just reach into their world, we'd reach the whole world. It happened very, very quickly, okay? So don't get overwhelmed by it. And, and here's what I mean. You want to be a leader? What's the great commandment? Love. What's, what's the great commission? Go into all the world, preach the good news. It's, it's, it's telling people that your sin was paid for, that Jesus loves you. And, and, and men, let's say that you take your kids to a little league game and you're talking to another dad. There's no greater show of leadership than you say, hey, I'm a Christ follower. Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? That's leadership. We ought to get a holy unrest in us every once in a while and not just leave the altar call up to the man of God on a Sunday morning and say, you know, I haven't led anybody to Christ in a little while and I'm itching to give the devil a black eye. That's my prayer for you. And so one of the things we're doing as a church is reaching out with the Drive Into Freedom event. Now, it's phenomenal. And I'm not an events guy. We're not an events venue. It's an opportunity to have outreach into this community, to show this community that we care. And we need more cars for the tailgate carnival, and we need more people to sign up and be part of the classic cars, and we need all of you to serve. Really, I'm calling this an all-play, all hands on deck. If you call this your church home, I need you to serve that day. Now, we're going to do shifts so people can enjoy it and serve, but listen, all hands on deck, I need you. And a couple of weeks ago, I had you fill out one of these cards. Ushers, if you would, very, very quickly come forward and pass out a card to every single person in the room. I had you uh, uh, receive one of these cards a couple weeks ago, and it asked the question, are, are you, are you going to be here? Because what we found is, is if everybody that calls New Chapel their home church comes on the same day, we have 30 to 40% more people at church. Just ask Easter. You know what I'm talking about? And so the goal was this. I wanted to know who says, hey, pastor, I'm in. You cast the vision, I'm with you. Today is something different. Are you willing to bring someone with you? I was talking with Josh Zender. He serves your kids back in New Kids. And he said, uh, man, Pastor Joe, I've been thinking about my granny. And she hasn't darkened the door of a church in years. She thinks the roof will cave in on her. I said, well, bring her to the drive. And he says, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he said, I'm going to pick her up and tell her I'm taking her to Target. And I said, you have absolution, my son. <laughs> now, don't do that, but if you did, God would forgive you, okay? But, but bring somebody. There's some people that wouldn't come in to a church, but they might go into a drive-in church service. They might go to a patriotic event. You know, there's people all around us, especially in this area around the ridge. They're the country music people. They love God and country. They would even agree with everything I'm saying. They just haven't given their heart over to it yet. We need good families like that. Are they really good people? Compared to God, no. And Everybody's evil. But compared to other people, yeah. I want the country music crowd at New Chapel. They're good people. They love God. They love people. They still love the country, you know? Like, we want them here. And if you invite them in, and it's, it's a little bit more hands-off. It's not so pushy. I'm not sending you in to go sit in, in pews, if that's what these are. You're going to come in and have an outdoor drive-in church service. So if you will commit to me today, Pastor Joe, I will bring somebody, you rate it down. Now, if you missed the service a couple weeks ago where you said you were going to be there, do one extra thing, put a star in the corner. If, if you're saying you're going to bring somebody and you already filled out the card that said that you were going to be here, don't put the star. I, I don't want to count anybody twice. That's the whole idea. But I want to have an idea. Are you behind me? Are you with me? 
Are we going to take this thing seriously? I bet you anything if I said, hey, if you bring somebody, there'll be a million dollars. You'd figure it out, wouldn't you? How much more valuable is a human life to God? I am challenging you. I'm never that hard with things. Hey, listen, New Chapel, bring somebody. Well, I'm going to pray about it. I've got work to do. Yeah, we read that. Okay, praise God. And so that's my big ask today. I'm making a big ask of every single Christian at New Chapel. Bring somebody. I don't know anybody. You know somebody. In fact, you're probably related to somebody that needs to get born again. Okay, moving on. Now, none of these things are possible without the last commitment, and I think we need to make a fresh commitment, especially in light of summer. Number seven, write it down. We need to commit to honoring Jesus Christ through worship, prayer, obedience to God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about church. You need to re-up your commitment. Well, I'm here, Pastor Joe. Great. I love that you're here. I want you here next week and the week after. You go on vacation out of state, God bless you. Go enjoy it. We need to enjoy good weather in Michigan. But listen to me. Re-up that commitment. Be plugged into the house of God. And as men, I don't need anybody to cheerlead me to be a model for godliness for my family. Here's what I'm talking about. When we're listening to worship music, I don't need anybody to cheerlead me into clapping or singing or shouting amen, or anything like that. I'm a man, so I'm going to display to my family what a man of God should be doing. Men of God in the room, you need to be doing the same thing. Well, Pastor John, I'm just not that way. Really. I've actually like accepted some of you as Facebook friends, and I've seen some of your fall lineup, where you've gone to a Michigan or Michigan State game. You're 60 years old. You have your shirt off with a big M or an S, and you're screaming, oh my gosh, we're going to win, and you're crying and bawling and squalling when you don't win, and, and then you come in on Sunday morning and say, well, I just don't express myself that way. <laughs> really? You don't? Let me tell you, you do. The Bible says lift up holy hands, clap, sing unto the Lord. Why? Well, I don't have any kids that are coming here to church. Exactly. There's other young families that are looking at you, sir, ma'am. They need a godly example. We're a broken and fatherless generation. Please show us the way. Show us what it looks like. And so it's time, ma'am. All hell is coming against your leadership, and it always has. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to live in passivity or in chauvinism, in subservience or in superiority? Don't do it. You were made for more. God has a plan for your life. God wants you to be in that spot of honor in your home. God wants you to be a leader in the community. We need to stop fearing what the news says and what social media says and what public school teachers say. They just... I got to say it. I got a note a week or so ago about the inclusion director over at Kennewy Hills High School that is teaching your kids the most ungodly things I've ever read and sending out letters. And this is for fourth and fifth grade and under. It's time to open our mouths and not apologize for existing. It's time for the men of God to take leadership in these situations. It's time for the princes to rise up because when the princes rise up, the people will say, praise the Lord. When the princes are in leadership, the, the, the community is going to say, praise the Lord. When the men of God rise up, your wife, your family will say, praise the Lord. People will be able to feel when you walk in the room because there's God's spirit on your life. You're called for more, sir 
rise up and let's lead a move to change this world. Amen. We can do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know that you're speaking to people in this room. You're speaking to hearts. God, I sense that there's men in the sound of my voice even right now, and they're bowing up on me. They don't want me to be talking this way. Let me just tell you, you don't have to listen to me, sir, but the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now. Listen to him. God's speaking to you about an area or maybe several areas that you gotta, you got to face the man in the mirror. Say, if we're ever going to see this end-time harvest, if we're ever going to see real change happen in our community, it can't be have another cup of coffee, have another slice of pie. God is speaking to you. Just listen to that. Pastor Joe, I messed up. Glad you brought that up. Repent and recommit. Just turn around. I messed up last night. All right, repent <laughs> recommit. God loves you and he's for you. He's not holding your sin against you. Love of God's in this room right now. This broken and fatherless generation is being comforted by the spirit of the father. Some of you men in the room, your boy's on the inside. You were so diminished growing up. You were never freed or empowered to be the man that you were called to be. You got to stop looking for permission. Don't cover it up with bravado. Receive permission, not from me, from God. God, I thank you that you're ministering to men in this place, to families. I thank you, God, that there's women of God that are going to honor these decisions that the men are making. God, I thank you that we're lifting up a standard in this place. God, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, Help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you've never made peace with God through Jesus, now's your, now's your moment. Now's the time. We're going to pray a prayer in a moment, and it's the gospel. It's, it's giving your life to Christ. When you do that, you'll find the peace that you've been searching for. You'll have eternal life in heaven. Avoid a Christless hell, and that eternal life will spark in your life today. You can leave this place with the weight of the world off your shoulders, if you only mean it. With heads bowed, eyes closed, church, pray this out loud with me. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. How awesome. Wow. Listen, if you did accept Christ in here, the reason why we get rowdy about that is because we are so excited for you. You made the best decision of your life. Let somebody know about it. Maybe the person you came with certainly let us know about it. We're not going to call you out or make you come to the front right now, but either on one of our connection cards or at guest services, please let us know that you prayed that prayer. We want to send you a note. 
talking about next steps that you can take in your faith. God has big things for you, the least of which is filling out that card. One more time, church, let's give it up to those people that accepted Christ. Praise God. Stand up on your feet. Hey, did y'all get anything out of that message? I believe that God's called us to great things. I believe that we're going to take more ground than we ever have. Uh, listen, uh, things are really heating up. Driving to Freedom is going to be on July 4th. Make sure that you're there. I need you to sign up as soon as you leave. And then also, as we leave today, it'll be a short 15 minutes before we're going to have something called New Chapel Connect. If you've never joined the church and you'd like to, maybe find out more about the vision here and you'd like to meet me, I'd love to meet you. Stay in the room. You can leave your kids back there. They'll have lunch. We'll make sure they get fed. We'll feed you. We've got Jimmy John's and Coke and water. Make sure that you stay for New Chapel Connect. We'd love to be able to shake your hand. But listen, honor your fathers today. I, I have an imperfect dad, Pastor Joe. You, we all do, and I, I'm not diminishing what you might have. You honor him. You can maintain your, your boundary and honor him just by praying for him, maybe. But you honor your father. They gave you life, thank God. I want to pray. I want us to go out to the world. Father, I pray that you empower these men, these families, to lift up a standard. God, I pray that the Lord would bless them and keep them. God, make your face shine on them. Be gracious unto them. God, lift up your countenance upon them and give them your peace that passes understanding. God, we thank you for men. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go, have a great week. Can't wait for next week. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.